So we're uh, on a journey very much like Little Red, deeper into this idea of fear, the way we battle it, how we try to overcome it. And uh, I have to tell you that today I will be speaking these words to you from a place of confession, not a place of overcoming strength yet. These words are not so much coming this way as they are coming this way. I uh, have been doing a lot of listening this week and learning as much as I listened. I feel the conviction and the challenge inside these words and I'm speaking them and I'm listening to them at the same time. I am very much in this battle. So I'm going to be reading the words today, which is a little different for me, but because um, I'm still reaching for them to become mine. When we ask the question, whom shall I fear? The answer is only God. We're not given a multiple choice option in the scriptures. There's only one. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and knowledge and discipline. I've been thinking a lot about where did fear come from? And I believe that fear is the result of sin because it isn't in the nature of God. And we're made in His image. I believe that fear came with the knowledge of good and evil when Adam and Eve bit the forbidden fruit and tasted things that God didn't ever want them to know. But now it's here. And now we are not only knowledgeable of what is good, but now we are knowledgeable of what is evil and we're afraid. So how do we get rid of fear? As Miss Sue shared with us, it is only by displacement. But I don't think we really believe that. And I don't know that I really believe it. Because I still try to outrun fear. Or hide from fear. Or defeat fear. But you can't. You can only displace fear. Or replace it with something else. And the only thing powerful enough to rid us of fear is the perfect love of God. Just as you cannot displace the voice of the enemy without the voice of God, you cannot displace fear without love. 1 John tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So when we ask the question, whom shall I fear? The only answer is God. Only God. Fear of anything else or anyone else is essentially taking the hand of the enemy and letting him lead us into his nature. So today I want to shine a light on the difference between the nature of fear, which here represents these vines that tangle us, and the nature of love, as our drama has been using this light symbolizing the presence of God. Because if we're going to displace fear, if we're serious about that, if anybody here is tangled like the story, and you really are serious about wanting to be done with it, then you will become a student of love. 
you will become serious about learning how to recognize the difference between the nature of fear and the nature of love. Fear is the tool of the enemy. John 10.10 10 tells us that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. When we take the hand of the enemy, he will lead us into the acts of the sinful nature, which Galatians 5 tells us are sexual immorality, impurity, indulgence, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and that's the short list. But if we want to walk in love, which is the nature of God, John 10.10 10 tells us that Jesus came to bring life and bring it abundantly. So if we take the hand of life, of love, of God, he will lead us into his nature, which Galatians 5 calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And church, when it becomes a study of the fruit of the Spirit versus the acts of the sinful nature, it's, it's an easy choice. It, none of us typically overtly want to choose those things that belong to the darkness, many of us just find ourselves trapped there, just like the character in the story. But if we could boil it down to a simple choice, it doesn't even seem like a hard choice. So why is it hard? Every day we wake up, we will decide which hand we're going to hold. We're going to hold the hand of fear, or we're going to hold the hand of love. Whom shall I fear? Only God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There are so many expressions of fear, and some of them are obvious and extreme, and we make TV shows about them, and they're on Netflix, and we eat our popcorn, and we watch other people's stories as they battle fear. But other fears are more subtle. And they're harder to recognize, and I believe without really knowing it or understanding it, they have impacted us in ways that are, I believe, just as lethal ultimately than some of those extreme fears. I've been thinking a lot about it this week, and there are two subtle fears. This is not an exhaustive list, but there are two that I really feel compelled that I want to shine light on today. One of them is this idea of Zen. Uh, it's, a, it's something that's rooted in Buddhism, but I hear the phrase out a lot in our city. I, I hear us talking about this concept of Zen. Some of you may or may not be familiar with it, but it tends to be this just like, fine, I'm all good, I've got this. But I want to read to you, um, of course, being a homeschool history teacher, I've done a good bit of study of the different religions of the world and how they started, and I just want to share this with you. Historically, Zen Buddhism originated in the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama around 500 BC, who was a prince in what is now India. At the age of 29, deeply troubled by the suffering he saw around him, he decided to renounce his privileged life as a prince and to go seek understanding. And after six years of struggling as an ascetic, he finally achieved enlightenment at age 35. After this, he became known as the Buddha, which roughly means one who is awake. 
although I have strong disagreement with that, I believe God does too. In a nutshell, Buddha believed, he realized that everything is subject to change around us. And that suffering and discontentment are the result of attachment to circumstances and things by which their nature are impermanent. By ridding oneself of these attachments, one can be free of suffering. Here's why I have a problem with sin. Love, the nature of love, never sought to be detached from suffering. Isaiah 53.10 tells us that it was God's will to allow Jesus to be crushed, to cause him to suffer. 1 Corinthians 13 says that faith, hope, and love will remain, but the greatest of these is love. Love remains. Love stays. Love does not detach. Buddha, motivated by a fear or the complexity of suffering, he sat and tried to transcend it. Mother Teresa, in the same India, motivated by love, sought out the suffering, got her hands in it, and tried to bring comfort. The enemy will always lead us to numb or escape our pain and our fear. But Jesus, compelled by love, took on our suffering. I believe that Zen says words of fear like, this is a mess, this is too big, this is overwhelming, this is problematic, so I'm going to go over here and I'm going to transcend it. Even the posture itself is completely, 100% self-consumed. Legs and arms pulled tight, eyes shut, sitting still, not going anywhere, not doing anything compared to the posture of Christ carrying the cross up the Via Dolorosa. I believe that Jesus felt the full sting of every lash. I believe he felt the agonizing pain of every nail and every thorn and every mocking voice. I believe his heart was broken. But his love was so brave, he remained in the face of death. I believe if we are going to take the hand of love, then we will feel pain. We will also feel joy. The second expression of fear that is subtle and convicts me, but I believe this is true and I want you to consider it. I believe that really the root of cynicism is really fear. Cynicism, I can move in an easy, that type of sense of humor makes me laugh. It's very dominant in our culture today, but I believe it is because we are a people who have grown overwhelmed. An attitude, uh, cynicism is an attitude of scornful or jaded negativity, especially a general distrust of integrity or professed motives of others. Here's why I think the root of cynicism is fear, because it isn't in the nature of love. Love always trusts. 
And I confess to you today, that is one part of the Word of God that pierces my heart like a sword every time I read it. Trust is hard for me. John 3.17, love saves. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. I believe cynicism says, this is a mess. And I believe cynicism fears the humility and the bravery of love, and instead cynicism will climb up on a judge's desk, a safe distance away, and pronounce verdicts. But love is not cynical. 1 Corinthians 13, 5-8 says that love is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. There is a vast difference in the mode of fear and the mode of love. I know this from my own journey. This next small portion I'm going to read is something I wrote from my book, Who Moved My Comfort Zone? It was a book I was asked to write several years ago about the journey of of church planting. This is from chapter 11. Fear can be very motivating, I know. I have accomplished a lot in my life, and a lot of it was motivated by fear. Fear of what might happen if I didn't do all that I could to change things. Fear of darkness winning in a life or eclipsing hope from a city. Fear of not finishing well. Fear of failing. Fear of failure kept me running fast for a long time. Fear is motivating in the worst sort of ways. Fear drives. People would say that about me. Sherry is driven. Fear beats the back. It is driving and accuses the motive of the heart. Fear always accuses and fear will wear you out. Fear empties. And after giving all and collapsing into an exhausted heap, there is no satisfaction, only the fear that you could have done more, or you could have done better, or how would you possibly have the strength to do all that again? Fear is good buddies with doubt and anxiety. Their subtle voices can often be heard over the cracking of the whip of fear. What if all this is for nothing? What if nothing changes? What if your strength fails? What if no one gets what you're trying to do? What if all this is a cruel joke? Fear will always ask, what if? And fear led me to a crossroads. Fear began to demand results that I could not provide to prove my value or the value of this ministry. Fear drove me to a cliff in relationships. If after I had done all that I could do and there still wasn't change or growth, fear drove me to walk away from people, to create a distance, a distance that Jesus never created. He remained the same. And there it was, the crossroads. Fear went one way and Jesus went the other. Fear walked away. Love stayed. Fear accused. Love forgave. Fear drove. And love compelled. Fear emptied me. 
love filled me. Fear exhausted me, and love inspired me. Fear made me cry, and love made me laugh. Fear led to despair, and love led to dancing. Fear was old, and love was new. Fear was dark, and love was light. And I am now filled with the hope that comes from the promise that love will never fail. And church, if you don't hear anything today, please hear this. For so long, I was motivated by a fear of failing, so I clung to fear so I wouldn't fail. What a silly strategy. Instead of clinging to the hand of love where I am guaranteed I will never fail, I will have success, whatever success looks like to God. And I do think he measures success quite differently than we do. Now I have um, my confession. I have been in a recent battle with fear in the journey toward the city center here where I have found myself in a leading role. I have been very afraid, and I have forgotten and let go of the hand of love. I didn't mean to. I don't think I even realized I did. Until I found myself weak and really battling despair. afraid of obstacles, of giants. There are some days when I'm walking down here and working that it's almost like I can hear an audible voice mocking me on the streets. And this is what it says. Asheville is tightly in the hand of the enemy. And he, the enemy will not let go. You you need to go home. You need to stop having hope. That is foolish. This city will never change. We don't want you here. You'll never succeed here. You don't belong here. Go home. And for months, I allowed that voice to discourage me to doubt whether or not any of this was worth it. And I forgot. I forgot my favorite story in the Old Testament about David fighting Goliath. I forgot how David reacted to the giant that mocked him too. And uh, the giant was right. In all the words that he said, David wasn't very impressive. But I forgot that this wasn't a measurement. This wasn't about a measurement of David's strength, or mine, or ours. I forgot to speak the words that David spoke to the giant that mocked him. But I've been asking God to give me the faith to speak them again. And these are the words in 1 Samuel 17 that David spoke to the giant that mocked him. He said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, 
God will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. The faith that came out of David came because he was a man standing in perfect love. And that perfect love gave him the courage to look at a giant that was mocking him and to speak from the place of faith. And I forgot. I've been very afraid of the impossibilities of this. This is a huge task. This is a huge task with a tiny volunteer staff and hardly any budget, walking toward a vision that none of us have ever experienced. And I gotta tell you guys, there are days that the waves of responsibility roll over me and nearly drown me. And I've had to resist an incredible urge to just wanna quit. It's too much, it's too big. I don't know how. But the Lord will whisper in my ear and remind me that I forgot. I forgot what it looked like when Peter walked on the water. I forgot. And Jesus will whisper in my ear, Sherry, I didn't send you the wave for it to drown you. I sent it so you could ride it. Get up on it. I sent it so it can take you all places. This is about my strength, not about yours. with my own inadequacy. I've been so afraid. There's not enough time, not enough strength, not enough people, not enough knowledge. And I very much feel like Gideon. I can hand God my laundry list of reasons why I'm not qualified and he needs to ask someone else. And just like God took Gideon's little list of all the reasons why he wasn't qualified, I can just see God pushing it aside when he looks at Gideon and he says to him, Oh, Gideon, go in the strength you have. It just doesn't feel like much. And I forgot that this was never a measurement of, of our strength. It was a measurement of God's. I also took the hand of fear and became very afraid of opposition. We are called to serve in these really old downtown buildings and I literally sweep the walls and sometimes the rain comes in. But this is where we've been called to take our stand. And sometimes the city doesn't understand what we're trying to do and sometimes the church doesn't try to understand what we're trying to do and there can be criticism. And I have allowed, I took, I, I took hold of the hand of fear, and I allowed that opposition to, to buckle my knees. And I forgot. I forgot the verse that God called me out when I was 17 years old. Joshua, Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you. And so I speak these words today to you, our, my church, to the Lord, asking for forgiveness that I got so afraid. And I'm so thankful that when I break my list, 
of fears. When I bring them to the Lord, I'm so glad that love doesn't take my suffering and say, ooh, that's a mess. That's too much. And go over in a corner and pull his legs tight and his arms tight and shut his eyes and sit still and try to transcend it. I'm so glad that when I hand love my list of fears, he didn't climb up on a judge's desk and beg and gavel and pronounce a verdict on my failure. I'm so glad that when I bring my fear to, to love, love picks up my obstacle. He climbs the hill of my impossibility. He dies for my inadequacy and he defeats my opposition. And that is the power of perfect love, casting out fear. And I'm praying for us as a church. I, I told my story today. I don't know what yours is. But I'm just saying, love is very interested in your fear list. Very willing to take it into his hands and crush it. And give us the power to be a church that overcomes with the love of Christ. You know what our mission here is at Highland? To change life as we know it through the love, loyalty, and friendship of Jesus Christ. And, and love, love, the nature of love, he wants to change everything. And he starts getting up in our business and we get afraid to smack his helm down and we take the hand of fear and climb back into this place of being paralyzed. So my challenge to myself and to this church is when love starts wanting to change things, just hold on to his hand. He's leading to beautiful places, places that we all want to be. On Friday, after preparing these words and uh, praying and confessing my own stuff, Isaac came home from work, and he'd had a really hard day, and uh, I was making pizza. He got out his guitar, just started singing, and he sang this one song in worship that my heart needed to hear very much. Um, he said he'd be willing for his own heart, too, to sing this for us. But it's the song that sums up best this story of displacing fear with perfect love. 